Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Well, we got a great one today, you know for a change. And let me tell you why. Uh, I think we've had a breakthrough. Peter, my executive producer, uh, had this idea. Let's book guests who know what they're talking about and how to talk. And I I think that's going to make the whole experience of, of listening to the Al Franken podcast a lot less painful. And my guest today is is Michael Weiss. And Michael has uh, reported extensively from Ukraine and was in Kyiv uh, three weeks before the invasion. He is currently news director for New Lines magazine and is the uh, New York Times bestselling author of ISIS Inside the Army of Terror. And you got to have balls to be inside the Army of Terror. I just, that would terrify me. And I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> That's what I. Uh, that's what I do. Uh, now, obviously, the horrible, tragic, uh, heartbreaking uh, war in, in Ukraine is um, escalating every day. Uh, and I spoke with Michael on uh, Tuesday, March 1st. So a lot has happened since then. But I think this is a very interesting interview for you, my listeners, uh, you know, for a change. And I'm doing this intro on Thursday evening, the 3rd. So by the time this drops on uh, Sunday, the situation on the ground will no doubt be uh, much worse. I can't believe this is is happening. Uh, Michael has some uh, useful insights in, in the Putin. I, I, I can't believe what one evil man, Vladimir Putin, is, is doing to Ukraine and what he's doing to his own country. President Biden and uh, the Secretary of State Tony Blinken have really done a remarkable job putting together a massive coalition to stand up to Putin. Practically every country in the world is with Ukraine, with some exceptions, but even China won't back Russia in the uh, UN Security Council. The Swiss have joined uh, in on the sanctions. They they maintain their neutrality during World War II. I, I just like Trump getting the message that the Swiss think your pal Putin is worse than Hitler. Uh, This is so heartbreaking to watch. More than a million refugees thus far. Mothers with children. I'm I'm seeing kids, my, my grandchildren's ages, in the cold, making their way with their moms uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles uh, to the border. I just, I can't imagine children are being killed. Putin said today that the war in Ukraine is going according to plan. And of course, you know, it must be because as you remember, as Trump said a week ago, uh, Putin is basically, he's a genius. Uh, Peter, can we play some of that? I said, this is genius. Putin declares 
a big portion of the Ukraine, of Ukraine. Putin declares it as independent. Oh, that's wonderful. So Putin is now saying it's independent, a large section of Ukraine. I said, how smart is that? You got to say that's pretty savvy. And you know what the response was from Biden? There was no response. They didn't have one for that. No, it's very sad. Yeah, you know what's sad? The uh, House January 6th Select Committee uh, just submitted a court filing with the evidence they've accumulated that President Trump, his uh, lawyer John Eastman, and other Trump allies could be charged with several criminal violations, including obstructing an official proceeding of Congress and conspiracy to defraud the American people. The New York Times reported that in in the filing they submitted, the, uh, the, the committee submitted some of the voluminous evidence, quote, from more than 550 interviews with state officials, Justice Department officials, and Mr. Trump's aides. By the way, that's the, that's the style of the New York Times to call uh, men Mr. So in an article after uh, they said the person's full name and title, then they refer to them as uh, Mr. or Ms., you know, like Mr. McConnell or Mr. Trump or Mr. McCartney. Uh, a number of years ago, they, they did an article about meatloaf, and in the article, they kept referring to him as Mr. Loaf. So anyway, a number of Mr. Trump's aides have testified to the committee that they told Mr. Trump that he uh, had lost. Now, here's a quote. Soon after Election Day, a campaign data expert and he, this is in his words, in very blunt terms, told Mr. Trump that he was going to lose, suggesting that Mr. Trump was well aware that his months of assertions about a stolen election were, were false. So basically, Trump and Eastman and Giuliani and the others who disseminated false information about election fraud and pressured state officials to alter state election results and federal officials to assist that. And of course, tried to get the vice president to overturn the election. And in a, a filing to a federal district court judge, it was, quote, plausible to believe the president entered into a conspiracy with rioters on January 6th. So as we say, listen to this space. I hope that ends. And uh, it ends with uh, Donald Trump being prosecuted. I, this is being referred to Merrick Garland. I, I'm certain he's committed several crimes, Mr. Trump, and um, we need to prosecute him. Uh, and now to Michael Weiss uh, on the events in Ukraine. And unfortunately, it is a tragic one. And I'm afraid that will be one of many. Uh, thanks. Thanks for listening. Did you know that learning actually makes a sound? It's true. Listen. That's the sound of you learning a new language with Babbel. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. For example, let's say you're in Berlin and you want to visit the Führer bunker. It's pretty simple, actually. Wo ist der Führer bunker? 
Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Here is a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Senator Franken, it's a, it's an honor and a privilege. I've been a huge fan of yours for many years. Oh, we'll keep that in the recording here. <laughs> boy, oh boy, I'm going to ask you a, a question first, which is, uh, Tucker Carlson said, uh, Putin's a tyrant, but so is Zelensky. Really? I mean, is, is Tucker right, uh, as he usually is? So uh, I was in Kiev about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to make sense of why Ukraine was so surreally calm about the situation, given the, the drumbeat of intelligence leaked by the US and the UK and other Western partners that war was imminent, which indeed proved to be correct. And, you know, a lot of Ukrainian politicians were quite down on Zelensky. No, it's not that he's a tyrant, but they found that he was going in a, a direction that was ironically given how he got elected on a campaign of anti corruption and sort of uprooting all of the old status quo crap that has bogged Ukraine down for decades now, he was becoming um, very much like the people that he had used to satirize. So remember, um, this is a guy who, and I think I'm sure you'll amply empathize with this, um, was a TV star and a celebrity. Uh, He had a a show that was kind of in the vein of Armando Iannucci, Veep style parody called Servant of the People. Mm -hmm. Uh, And rather hilariously, he, in that show, He played a school teacher who one day after suffering a series of petty daily frustrations, you know, not getting the metro on time, that kind of thing. He just kind of goes on this rant about the political establishment, bureaucracy, incompetence of the Ukraine system. And his students record it and upload it. It goes viral. And then at the next election, which happens in the course of a few days, he's the write-in candidate and wins. So Zelensky played a president on TV before he then ran for president under the platform of a party named for the, the, the series Servant of the People that made him famous. And then he won the presidency with the whopping 73% of the vote, which is kind of unprecedented for Ukraine. But when I was there, and again, this is three weeks ago, he was polling below 30%. So it seemed that he had kind of found himself in this very familiar rut of a, an incumbent who just wasn't doing well. People felt frustrated with the sluggish pace of reforms. Now, there is truth that he was looking to prosecute his predecessor, Petro Poroshenko, on charges of treason, and it's very complicated and heady, and I don't need to get into it all. But the bottom line is, 
what you're seeing now is a kind of extraordinary transformation of Charlie Chaplin into Winston Churchill, right? Nobody really knew that he had this in him. Perhaps I'm wrong about that. Perhaps some people did foresee that he would be this great Western leader and, and kind of bunker statesman, but I, I certainly didn't. And a lot of Ukrainians I spoke to didn't. But to call him a tyrant is, I think, uh, grossly uh, propagandistic and stupid. To put him anywhere near the moral plane of Vladimir Putin, I think, is obscene at this point, given what his country is, is withstanding at the moment. I mean, I'm seeing images just literally minutes before I logged on of Kharkiv in uh, Ukraine's northeast, I mean, reduced to rubble. What we have here in Ukraine it appears to be potentially an amazingly horrible disaster. I mean, he has threatened, he's basically threatened use of nukes. Is he crazy? Uh, you know, you see these photographs of him mm -hmm. at a table <laughs> with his advisors, and there's a 30-foot-long table, and they're at the end. I mean, this is like something out of a, a satire, out of, it out is. of a dictator um, or something. So, look, uh, here's what we can say uh, with some degree of certainty. He is absolutely uh, paranoid about COVID. Uh, I've been describing him as the man in the high castle. He makes foreign leaders who come to visit him or who up until five days ago came to visit him uh, get a PCR test. And if they refuse, then he seats them at this sort of Kublai Khan style banquet table that we've all seen on Twitter and, and on the, in, in the international news. Um, apparently, he makes his own Russian officials before visiting him provide fecal samples. Uh, so this is kind of like we're in Howard Hughes' white padded cell territory here, you know, keeping your urine in mason jars, according to the Russian press. That, that's the Russian press. That's the Russian press, right? So that's not, I'm not spitballing here from just Western impressionistic point of view. Whether or not he's really gone mad, I don't know. Uh, Fiona Hill, who's a superb Russia analyst, and everybody now knows right. her name because of the yes. impeachment. She gave a long interview to Politico in which she said um, she does believe that he's capable of pushing the button. We're not there yet, but she thinks that he is of such a mind that if he feels totally cornered, if he feels that he is possibly facing some kind of palace coup or military putsch in, in uh, Moscow, that this is this sort of a, a last resort. I think, as, as, as Fiona put it, he doesn't develop weapons unless he, he plans to use them. Well, let, me, let me ask you what that would look like. Would that be a tactical nuclear weapon or would that be the end Could of all be. of us? I mean, I mean, you know, people are worried that he might deploy tactical nukes to Ukraine uh, to make a very dramatic point. I let, let, let's without uh, that would be dramatic. Yeah. Without fear mongering and without getting too alarmist, I, I would say this. I, I don't start panicking until I, I hear from U.S. officials that they begin to see untoward activity happening um, with respect to Russia's strategic defenses. So he put out this order and I don't, I can't parse the nitty gritty of what it means, you know, down to the level of, you know, silos and all that. But um, there's been very good reporting. President Biden came out, the White House has been firm. We've not noticed any suspicious activity. We're not changing our DEFCON posture. Just don't start to worry yet. I think a lot of this too, and keep in mind, what did we see in the months preceding this invasion? What did we see in I think a 72 hour period preceding this invasion, which US intelligence to its credit accurately predicted. A massive disinformation campaign designed to essentially gin up a pretext for going to war, false flag operations, many of them scenery collapsing. The nuke threat, I think, uh, and I, I, I hope that I'm right about this, and I obviously it has <laughs> far reaching ramifications if I'm wrong. I see it as a feint designed to essentially 
this, do this, get us to talk about the threat of nuclear war, World War III, in order for the West to de-escalate or start making concessions. Sure. Now, I think the West has been pretty good about calling his bluff so far. And I think, as I said, until you start to hear from U.S. intelligence that we're now at, you know, five minutes to midnight, don't panic, because this is part of an old KGB playbook of what's known as active measures. You, know, you try to, to sow fear, confusion, and doubt in the mind of your enemy so that your enemy either starts to make mistakes or your enemy kind of crumples like a wet sock. Oh, well, I, like, I was watching uh, Morning Joe today. Yeah. And they had uh, a, a, a woman who was in their parliament who was in D.C., mm-hmm. and she was basically saying, you've got to come in and help us. Right. And she wasn't saying she she basically was saying, give us air cover, do all that kind of stuff. And that's where Putin said, if you do that, means nuclear war, basically. And then I saw Chris Coons come on afterwards and I could see him going like basically saying, no way we're doing (laughs) we're we're doing that. And I I guess that is a sort of a check, you know, as in chess, a a check like, oh, I'm going to play this one and you can't come in. Right. Well, look, I mean, let's 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 be very clear and and not resort to euphemism here. So I, I completely understand and sympathize with Ukrainians who say bail us out, please give us a no fly zone. Our civilians are being massacred. Our cities are being reduced to rubble. But I also know the Ukrainians well. And I, like I said, I was there three weeks ago and I talked to very senior leadership. They know that they're going to have to fight this alone. So when uh, a deputy of the Rada gets on TV and talks about give us a no fly zone, no doubt she, she wants it and would take it. But she also probably realizes she's not going to get it. And a no fly zone in Ukraine means America goes to war with Russia. Full stop. It means America has to shoot down Russian planes. It means America has to take take out Russian anti-aircraft defense systems. And you, you really, there's no other way to describe that other than war. That is a massive escalation. And, and yes, you then get into this really dangerous territory of, of possible nuclear engagement. However, there are other alternatives. Ukraine can defend itself. We've seen that. I mean, look at all the, the prognostications that Kiev would fall within 24, 48 hours. Here we are five days later, Kiev has not fallen. I know, but it's but so what if it's three weeks? Well, no, I mean, it, the time does matter because, I mean, the, the Russian military momentum gets lost. I've seen videos. I mean, I, I, look, I could not have predicted this with the best Hollywood writers room. I've seen Ukrainian peasants driving tractors, pulling abandoned Russian anti-aircraft systems. There's a TikTok video of a very attractive blonde Ukrainian woman showing people how to operate a Russian tank or BTR, which had been just left in the road. I've seen mass desertions. I've seen a lot of Russians get captured. I've seen a lot of Russians get killed. Graphic videos of them charred out corpses on the side of the highway. Ukraine is putting up a really serious fight, a fight I think many in the West didn't think they had in them. Now, Ukraine can defend itself further if they're given proper air defense systems, if they're given certain anti-aircraft battery systems. One of the things they've been banging on about for a long time is Patriot missiles. Patriot missiles don't just take out planes. They can also take out rockets. They can also take out artillery. There's a lot of things that they can do themselves if we provide them with the materiel. Now, I think one of the disincentives to do that up until now was if we do that, then that's this kind of escalation and then Putin escalates. Well, Putin is already escalating. Let's, let's, let's just be very clear here about what he plans to do. We're seeing it. I mean, Kharkiv looks like Aleppo now. It looks like Grozny. And if he plans to do the same thing to Kiev, we're looking at a, a kind of genocidal campaign here. So when I see, for instance, Luxembourg, which I didn't think they had anything other than funny hats and banks, but apparently they have anti-tank systems. When I see Luxembourg of all countries 
arming Ukraine. We're past the point of worrying about will he, won't he, how is he going to take this? I think the West should do everything it can. Give the Ukrainians everything the it Swiss. wants. The Swiss. The Swiss. The Swiss <laughs> and uh, the S- Switzerland and Monaco are enforcing sanctions. I mean, go back and watch Casino Royale. Can you imagine, like, 10 years ago, Monaco, of all places, saying that we're going to get rid of all this dirty Russian money in our, our, in our bank accounts? I mean, I've never seen international solidarity like this. Okay, well, then let me ask you about uh, what that means in Russia. Right. Because what we're kind of all hoping is, uh, I mean, we've seen a lot of demonstrations now in Russia, which Mm -hmm. people are putting themselves at great risk by doing that. What are the chances that Putin uh, is is in jeopardy here of, of keeping power? So, um, the, the European intelligence officials that I speak to say, we have not seen such a chance or such a likelihood for a coup or some kind of takeover of power in Moscow in 22 years, since 2000, when, you know, obviously Yeltsin was on his way out and Putin was on his way in. And Yeltsin could bar- barely stand up because he was so drunk and on the verge of cardiac arrest. When they say stuff like that, I take it seriously. Now, again, there are a lot of Russians who absolutely cannot stand this war. I know that for a fact. Uh, 6,000 people have been arrested under very forbidding circumstances, right? Because, you, you know, many thousands of people turned out in 2011 to protest the stealing of an election. But since that time, we're looking at 11 years now, Putin has consolidated his power and essentially hollowed out the opposition. Alexei Navalny, the only person who could in any way credibly challenge him for, for the presidency, is in a penal colony after he himself had been poisoned with Novichuk. Uh, mm-hmm. So for people to turn out and oppose this regime for going to war is, is very brave and very noble. However, I'm looking at what's happening in the Kremlin itself and in the special services. And already I'm beginning to see signs of wobbliness. Um, if you talk to people who used to be in CIA or MI6, they've got a, a, a Cheshire cat grin on their face because they see this as an opportunity for recruitment. Do, do we have people inside uh, the Kremlin? I would, I would be working for, I us? would be incredibly surprised, incredibly surprised if CIA or its partner services in NATO countries have not recruited very high level human sources in the Russian government, including in the presidential administration itself. I just, I cannot see it any other way. I don't believe that the U.S. got this intelligence, very granular, detailed, literally the war plan itself. And it was unusual for us to sort of start saying, this is what they're doing. Yep. And to me, it seemed like, okay, why hadn't we done that before? We're compromising intelligence sources, or it didn't seem like we were worried about that this time. No, look, I think I think there was a learning curve here. So, you know, the United States has spent the last... 20 years and change fighting a global war on terror. We forgot about our old main adversary, which it, you know, it might, it might've changed the ideological nature of its system, but certainly the kind of KGB mentality has persisted. And Putin himself is a former case officer from the KGB. So the, the intelligence services, the way they think their trade craft has remained the same. 2014 came around, Crimea was taken over in a bloodless annexation invasion, which was easy for them to do because the Black Sea fleet was there at Sevastopol. And then this dirty war in Donbass breaks out. And it's all very murky and hard for the average person to parse. Like, are the Russians really in Ukraine? Or are these are these separatist Ukrainians? I mean, I think the US was on the back foot then. In the last eight years, the US has gotten a lot better at sort of countermanding or preempting disinformation 
uh, I mentioned these, this, this term of art, active measures, which is an old KGB term. And the, 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 the purpose of the leaks, well, there were two. One was to try and stop the war. You know, I mean, if we, the idea being that if we burn Putin's intelligence and his, his campaign before it even happens, he'll blink and then give it up. I mean, that's typically what a Western government would do if, if they've been so exposed. He didn't do that. But the other purpose was use it to rally international solidarity, get allies, especially wobbly ones such as Germany and perhaps France on side and get them on side early so that when shit hits the fan, pardon my French, um, nobody's surprised about how it went down or nobody's buying into any of the Russian propaganda. And also we can then enact sanctions more quickly. I remember after Crimea, it took five months for the U.S. Treasury Department to pass the first suite of sanctions. Five months. Now we're passing them within hours and we're passing devastating ones, including going after the central bank. And what, what was the thing they did where he had put away like a rainy day fund <laughs> uh, of like how much? Five hundred and sixty billion dollars or something. something? Like that, yeah. So the idea was to essentially protect Russia um, from exactly this, right? To make sure that if if there is some decoupling from the international financial system, Russia can weather the storm Stalingrad style. We don't know what's going to happen in the next five days, let alone in the weeks ahead. But uh, it seems to me right now we're looking at a lot of carnage. Yep. And then probably they come in to Kiev, they take over Kiev, however much carnage there is there and destruction, and I imagine a lot. And I imagine they'll be door to door. I mean, they'll be fighting in the city, right? It, it could well go that way. Or uh, if they if they do to Kiev what they've been doing to Kharkiv, um, they will destroy the city. Uh, and there'd be nothing left for them to really occupy. And yes, I mean, it will, it'll, it'll de- devolve into partisan warfare, like Madrid in 1936, house to house, you know, going through walls and buildings, you know, close combat with the enemy, that kind of thing. But look, again, I cannot emphasize this enough. Every time sort of Russian military personnel make contact with Ukrainian counterparts, it doesn't really end well for the Russians. Either they run away where they get killed or they get captured. So in terms of occupying a city like Kiev, which has got pretty good defenses in place and has had them for a while, I don't see it going so well for Russia. And, and, and look, if, if you listen to Putin's own, as I mentioned earlier, his worldview, the Ukrainians and the Russians are one people. If they're one people, which they're not, but that's how he thinks. If they're one people, then your legacy is going to be a grievous civil war in which you've killed your own people. And that, that ain't the stuff of Peter the Great. That's not something that a remolded 21st century czar wants on his gravestone. But that's what, that, that's what he will do. So, so this is a huge miscalculation on yeah. his part. I, I, think it, I think it is. I think it is. And I think it's not too much to imagine that essentially Putin put a gun to his own head and the bullet, however slowly it may be progressing, has left the chamber with this. And that's not something I would have, I mean, this is, this is a guy whose regime, anybody you ask, um, was seen as very secure and stable for a very long time, but things change. I mean, it was uh, Lenin who said that, you know, sometimes there are decades where nothing happens and then there are weeks when decades happen. I think we've seen a week in which a decade or more has happened. So he's uh, shot himself in the foot and there's no out here for him. Well, there is an out. Um, it's just which not is. one that I think he's capable of, of accepting, which is withdraw your forces and come to some kind of settlement. 
But again, if, if he is as, as Fiona Hill describes him, this is not somebody who's going to back down. But if he runs out of troops, if he runs out of fuel, if he runs out of airplanes and, and helicopters and artillery, or if he loses so much of it that essentially strategically he cannot do what he, he aims to do, okay, then what then? It feels like that takes a while. It does take a while. And look, I'm not saying that it's going to go that way necessarily. Kiev could very well be sacked. Uh, but even if Kiev falls, you still have a, a, a broad swath of Western Ukraine that is uncontested by ground forces. It's, it's sustained some rocket fire. I mean, but like cities like Lviv in the West on the Polish border, a government can relocate there. You know, I, I brought up the Battle of Madrid in 1936. Prior to that battle, days before, the Republic of Spain relocated all government officials to Valencia and left in Madrid a junta de defense, which is a defense junta to, to hold the city. So, I mean, Ukraine might not fall if Kiev falls. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with, with Michael Weiss. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great-tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. Okay, we're back with with Michael Weiss. Zelensky. Yeah. Is he going to make it through this? I mean... Look, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, um, he is public enemy number one to Putin. And I absolutely and everybody I think now, nobody would dispute that he is a very high value target for assassination. But, you know, if, if Kiev doesn't fall, if the Russians cannot penetrate, he could very well endure. If he feels that the city is slipping from his grasp and that given the leadership he has shown up to now, he's better serving his country to evacuate, he could, as I say, relocate to Lviv or someplace else in the country where, where it's not contested space. Yeah, I don't imagine know. he has plans. Uh, well, probably, in, but look, even if, 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 he, if he does get killed, let's worst case scenario, this guy is already a legendary political and military figure of the 21st century that nobody saw coming. He will be a martyr for generations of Ukrainians, and they, they do not lack for those. Um, so it won't be over, even if, if, if he dies. No, no, no. It'll be over for him, though. And Sure. Uh, we and don't nobody want wants that. to see that happen. Yes. You know, he's a Jewish comedian, which, of course, are the bravest people in the world. <laughs> As we know. Uh, you know, you said it. I mean, the photos of him and his defense minister is also Jewish. 
Yeah, but not a comedian. It's the Jewish comedians. The Jewish comedians. That's right. That's right. He and he was a Russian speaker, uh, Zelensky, right? His first, his first language, I think, is Russian. Yes, I, might I be think he did. He did his comedy in Russian at first. Yeah, yeah. No, this is another myth that that the Kremlin has has propounded, which is that there's somehow an attack on Russian speakers in Ukraine. Most Ukrainians speak Russian, and those who don't, ironically enough, have taken up Ukrainian, the language, only as a as a kind of fuck you to Russia for taking over their territory. Well, there's something also to be said, you know, I feel bad for Russian moms and dads and brothers and sisters, but, you know, the more Russian soldiers that come back in body bags, that's going to be a real pressure also. <laughs> Putin, it, I mean. it, that, that arguably is what hastened the collapse of the Soviet Union. It's known as Cargo 200 from Afghanistan. So Cargo 200, just to give you some perspective on this. Afghanistan was nine years, I believe. And in those nine years, the Soviets lost about 14,000 people. According to Ukraine's Ministry of Defense, and these figures are beginning to be corroborated by Western officials, the Russians have already lost upwards of 5,000 men. So they have lost a pretty high percentage already of the total that, that they lost over the course of nine years. They lost in five. I mean, th- their nose has been pretty bloodied, if not broken already. Uh, and if, if th- those figures continue to pile up, it's, it's going to be very hard for Putin to sort of make the case that, well, he, he can't make the case that he's winning the war. And the Russian media has been portraying this. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of Alice in Wonderland. It, it took them several days to even acknowledge casualties on the front. Prior to that, I've seen instances where essays heralding the final settlement of the Ukraine question as they put it, meaning we've won the war, the government's been toppled, Ukraine now belongs to Russia. Articles were uploaded to the internet prematurely and then had to be taken down because they didn't win the war. So, so in other words, all news there is like Fox. Was like it's it all, under yes. Trump. Well, actually, quite literally in some cases, because they love to play Tucker Carlson on Ukrainian state television. Oh, good. I'm glad someone in our country is giving aid and comfort to the Russians. Thank God. Because that only probably result in the deaths of, I don't know, thousands of people. But you know what? Tucker makes a lot of money. Did you know that? I'm sure he does. And let me tell you why. (laughs) Well, you can say to yourself, look, I'm very talented. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to uh, be a truth teller and, uh, and work for the common good of everybody as I see it. Or you can say, I'm a worthless piece of shit. And the only way I can make money is to, uh, this way. If, uh, if you say so, yeah, I, I never met him. Um, I know people who used to call him friend. Do they still do? <laughs> no, I don't. Well, now they're all being eviscerated on his show, um, including David from, I think, Bill Crystal, who used to uh, publish him in the Weekly Standard. Yeah, hired him. I mean, I think, yeah. You know, who, like, you know, so uh, look, I don't, I don't pretend to know the psychology there. I, I, frankly, I don't even care at this point. I mean, you know, he's, he's sufficiently embarrassed for his water carrying for, for Putin. Let me just kind of posit this. I think a reason that a lot of American conservatives or, or what, what has become this sort of new reactionary right um, you know, even the, the, the intellectual class, such as it is of, of, of Magaland. One of the reasons that they, they really plumped for Putin is in him, they saw a kind of masculine leader 
who didn't take no for an answer, who wasn't allowing drag queens to read uh, children's books to your kids, who, you know, wasn't, you know, even though he's paranoid about COVID, never mind all that, you know, this isn't a guy who's, who's going to mask up. This isn't a guy who's going to be cowed by anybody. He's doing what he wants. This is, this is a true bulwark of Western values and, and, you know, patriotism and, and sort of civilizational virtue. When in fact, all of that was just a carefully choreographed pantomime, really, of masculinity. You know, Putin, the shirtless horseback rider, Putin, the deep sea amphorae diver, Putin, the, the, the whale harpooner and all this stuff. This was manufactured originally for a domestic Russian audience, but then exported for essentially useful idiots and gullible types in the West who bought it hook, line and sinker. And now I ask you, the Jewish comedian in Kiev wearing a t-shirt dialing in to EU minister meetings, leaving them all in tears, begging them for support, begging them for membership status of Ukraine and the European Union, begging them for sanctions, begging them for weapons, versus the man who's asking his own government officials to do anal swabs before he's willing to shake their hand, who's seating the president of France, you know, at a, at a coming to America style uh, Zamunda palace table. I mean, Who's the real masculinist now? Who's the real man in this scenario? I'd love to hear that from this, this sort of MAGA crowd. You know, the nice thing about Lickspittle Useful Idiots is that inevitably the dictator that they, they, they love, or at least pretend to love, always puts egg on their face, always lets them down, always humiliates them in the worst possible fashion. And you know what? They deserve it. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, Trump calling a genius or characterized what he was doing as genius. Yeah, some genius. He went from one of the most internationally integrated economies <laughs> to North Korea in the space of 48 hours, you know? Like he plays 8D chess while backflipping people judo style, you know? I mean, this is a master strategist. He's a real genius. Yeah. Well, uh, Trump knows genius when he sees it. Mm-hmm. Well, can you imagine Donald Trump in Kiev? <laughs> well, no, he, he wouldn't be in Kiev anymore. He would never have been in Kiev. He would have he would have been on the first plane out the minute the United States called him and said, we, we have initial indications that your country might be taken over in the next two to three months. Look, I mean, again, <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of time in Europe, particularly the Baltic states and, you know, former Warsaw Pact or former Soviet countries. And I like to joke with people that the, the farther east you go, the more west you wind up until you get to basically St. Petersburg or Moscow. And I mean, now I, 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 I see that writ large. Kiev is essentially the capital of the West right now, what it's going through. And I think the West has finally woken up and realizes it. Well, uh, there are different ways for people to help. We have already 500,000 uh, refugees. And a million internally displaced. Right. And they're going to be, depending on how long this lasts, four, could be as many as 4 million or 5 million refugees. So I think uh, I just encourage my listeners to help those people. There's different organizations to do that. I like HIAS, which is a it's the Jewish organizations that been uh, helping refugees since I think for over 150 years or something like that. But they've been in Ukraine for for quite some time, and they were also uh, helping with Afghan refugees. But I just would encourage people to help the people of of Ukraine in any way they can, because we can, we can, we're lucky here. Boy, are we lucky. Yep. Well, I, I just, uh, this is bleak. 
this is bleak. These people are amazingly brave, and I hope we can take some inspiration from them, and I hope we can help in any damn way we, we can, short of starting World War Three, which Putin may be in a corner where, you know, when you die, it's the end of the world. There's no world left when you're dead. <laughs> and right. So he might want to take everybody with him. I don't know how crazy he is. Well, I, I don't think anybody fairly does at the moment. But um, look, um, it is bleak. And to paraphrase the words of a, a RADA deputy that I, I interviewed, who uh, it's a woman who was wearing, you know, it looked like a, I don't know, women's fashion, but you know, she was kitted out in like a Chanel suit. And she spoke English with what sounded like an American or, or British educated accent. I mean, she had told me this was again three weeks ago. I'm going to go to a rifle range and learn how to operate a firearm and I will defend my country come what may. And she said, you know, you in the West, you don't realize uh, that this struggle is not just about Ukraine. Um, we're fighting on your behalf, whether you're cognizant of it or not. And I think she has proved to be quite prescient in that assessment. The irony, of course, is that right now our democracy is very fragile. Correct. And what we've seen lately with not just voter suppression, but uh, laws, but also laws to take over the administration of, of elections. And this, the fact that, I don't know, two thirds of Republicans believe the election was stolen. It's really scary here. And we have these people risking their lives, giving their lives for, for, for democracy and for freedom. And we're in jeopardy of losing it here. Well, you know, I, I posted to Twitter because I couldn't resist a photo of Michael Flynn giving the QAnon salute, juxtaposed to a photo of Valery Kondratyuk, who's the former head of Ukraine's military intelligence service, so Flynn's counterpart in Ukraine, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. holding an RPG launcher and prepared to die to defend his country. So, yes, you're quite right. Democracy is a fragile thing. It can slip through your fingers at any moment. And, you know, America has just kind of sort of crawled out from a, 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 a really horrible crisis, which it could very well descend back into at any moment. But yeah, I mean, you talk about inspiration. I, I lost a lot of cynicism this week. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a snarky guy. I'm pessimistic by nature. I, I have no clever comeback for what Ukrainians have done, right? And I hope a lot of people who might have, you know, sort of dismiss their plight or thought of it as some faraway conflict in a place they, 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 they've never been to, much less could they locate on a map. You know, now they realize what the Ukrainians are up against, but also what we're up against, which is perhaps more important to the average American. Well, thank you. And let's, uh, let's see what happens. <laughs> man, oh, man. Mm -hmm. uh, keep our fingers crossed that maybe this will, maybe Putin will go, you know what? This isn't worth it. Or maybe, you know, people in his inner sanctum do an Operation Valkyrie that succeeds. You never know. Now, that's like putting the bomb under his desk. Well, they don't have to do that. I mean, these was guys that, that Operation pretty, Valkyrie? Was that that? That was that. Yeah. But I mean, the, under the, the, this, ver this version, I could see. I mean, they've, they've shown they're, they're pretty proficient with uh, chemical and weapons and nerve agents and poisons. I mean, it doesn't have to go that way. That would be ironic, wouldn't it? If he. Yeah, right. Novichuk on the underwear for VVP. Yeah. Um, he checks yeah. his underwear all the time, I guess. 
Well, you know, not, he's, 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 apparently he's checking other people's underwear. He's asking for people. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's a good note. Well, on. Thank you, Michael, and uh, keep working this. My pleasure. Thanks. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi, I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show The Swan. The problem? This dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.